I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome to Ireland's Birth Stories, a podcast created for women to share their experiences with pregnancy and birth. My name is Cora Gernon and I've created this space to enable women to share their experiences from start to finish without feeling shy about the detail. If you would like to support the podcast, you can do so through Patreon. I have attached the link on the website. So if you just visit the website, irelandsbirthstories.ie, you can then find the Patreon link there. Thank you to those that have. In this week's episode, I chat to Rosie and Adam from the Irish Mummy podcast. I love listening to couples talk about their experience of pregnancy and birth. Very often you'll hear one person share a part of their perspective that the other hasn't heard or a part of the story that's a little bit fragmented to one or the other and it'll be rediscovered for the first time. I definitely felt like a fly on the wall while they spoke about four very special experiences in their life. So I felt very privileged. Rosie gave birth four times and she gave birth in the in a hospital environment as well as a very recent home birth in Portugal. So she gave birth to her son Ezra last year. It was a very special experience. There was a lot of people there to support them throughout her pregnancy as well. And there was a really nice touch at the end where they gave their intentions to Ezra, which was really, really nice. So I hope you enjoy this week's episode and thanks to Rosie and Adam again. So Rosie and Adam, you're very welcome to the Ireland's Birth Stories podcast. Thank you so much for having us. We're honoured. It's a pleasure. Fellow podcasters, I haven't interviewed anyone else actually who who understands the life of podcasting. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's something we fell into. It's not. Yeah. I, I like that. I like we can do it in the evening. It's like our little time to chat. And now that we've been getting more guests on, I suppose it's nice having chats with other people, especially with COVID and everything at the minute. But yeah, yeah I enjoy it. It's our only adult interaction. <laughs> well, that's it. I tell the girls that I chat to, it's like my night out. Like I genuinely sit here in my pajamas with a cup of tea and we just chat away like we're, like we're in a coffee shop. It's lovely. Yeah. yeah. It totally is like that. It really, it's like the, um, the, so, the new socializing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So will we just dive into your first pregnancy? So was your first pregnancy planned? Yes. So our first, I actually fell very quickly with, um, after I got married with, with Paddy and I was pregnant in Australia and I gave birth in Australia. Um, he, he was, he was a he was, private doctor in a public, small country public hospital in Australia. Yeah. And he was, I think it was 10 days over. Yeah. So, so it was 10, 10 days over. Yeah. And he was, he was a very quick birth. Like, um, when all, when push came to shove, I think it was about, it was around 4 or 5 a.m. I started to get like mild kind of period type contractions. And he was born at about nine, nine yeah, in the morning. So there's only a few hours. And for my first, I suppose that was a big deal because even the doctors and the nurses weren't expecting that either. So that was, that was my first experience. And then. And it was so fast. So she, I think he had a Panadol, I think, for pain relief. So it was just so fast. Yeah, I think. I think they thought I was being a bit dramatic because I was obviously about to give birth and I was panicking because they were saying I, I might give birth till 12 o'clock that night. And I rang Adam and I'm like, um, I don't know what to expect because I'm in so much pain and they're saying I'm not in labor yet. So I'm like terrified. So luckily enough, I was in labor and I was about to give birth. So yeah, that was my first experience. And so with your first, um, did you do any preparation? So did you do any classes or did you have any birth preferences prepared? 
So I suppose I didn't know what I didn't know. I had done the, so in the country hospital that we were in, we had a really lovely French midwife and she did a very, very good um, antenatal antenatal class. And I suppose in the scheme of things for a hospital, it was probably the best antenatal class I could have gotten from the medical system. Um, But then I suppose the one thing that I did do for myself, which um, I did... I did a lot of meditation around just, you know, me and um, Paddy and I did that quite a lot. But then one thing I did, which stood out after the birth was I used to tell everybody when someone would say to me, you know, you're nervous about the birth. I would say, oh, I've had the baby and the baby surfed out. It was really quick and the baby surfed out. And I used to say that in the present tense to everybody who asked me about my pregnancy. And it was interesting because then when I gave birth, that's exactly what he did. It was like very fast and he surfed out. So then when it came to my second pregnancy, I suppose I kind of took more consideration for birthing affirmations. I really looked into them and I started to plan my ideal birth around my birthing affirmations. And I did a, a birthing course as well. And because of Paddy's birth, when I did the um the hypnobirthing I understood the what would you call it the training I understood the information more because I could relate to it and I had experience with it and then Adam could relate to it because and why, why we experience and why we went to that because Rosie wanted to do a home birth with Saoirse um and this was in Ireland so Paddy was Australia Saoirse was Ireland and um and it frightened the life out of me mm. you know what I mean I think I'd been watching too many like emergency room shows where it's they take like a 24-hour time frame and they cut it down to 30 seconds and then they show the dramatic thing to get us hooked and addicted to watching it. And so I thought a beta, like a, a birth went from everything's fine to catastrophic Amazing. drama within 30 seconds because that's what we see. Um, so I was... I was I wasn't... I, it's Rosie's body. It's her... She's going to give birth. So I was, I was frightened, so... That's why we went to the course and I was able to ask the questions and get educated. And when, when I realized that all the monitoring, everything like that, the ambulance was notified, all these sorts of things would happen and we're, we're close enough to the hospital. It's like, well, it totally de-risked it for me. And I think as well for me, the reason why I was very open to the home birth was because when I came home, I suppose being home in Ireland, you kind of naturally feel safer when you're, when you're in your home country. But um, the first person to mention it to me was an osteopath. She had done it. So obviously medically trained. And then the second person who mentioned a home birth to me was also a midwife who had trained in the UK. And I think the thing that stuck out to me the most was she said, if you have a straightforward first pregnancy or birth. The risk is a lot lower. No, no. It's actually in England, they consider it safer to give birth at home than in hospital. And when I heard that kind of statistic, I thought that's interesting. And it was from there then that I went on to find my midwife. And I said to her, let's have a chat with Adam, because I'd rather Adam got all his fears out on the table to you, a medical professional, than me trying to like brush them under, you know, they're fine, they're fine. So when she had a chat with Adam, it was after that then we were like, okay, then we'll do the birthing course. Yep, and then that changed. And then Dahi, he was another, he was born in Ireland as well. Um, so so what, Paddy's eight now, Sisha's four, nearly five, and Dahi's three this year. Um, and he was a he was a planned home birth that went a bit sort of sideways. Yeah, well, he, so I had, um, I had meconium. So I, okay. which is kind of interesting because I, Third time round, I called the midwife straight away because I thought my other two went kind of quick in the end. And I just thought, oh, I'll let her know. Oh, yeah, Sisha went super fast. So we dropped Patty off up to uh, one of Rosie's aunts at five o'clock. And you were chatting to your granny. And then Sisha was born at 7 p.m. Seven, yeah. So it was like two hours from being at granny's house to Sisha coming in. So then I kind of thought... Um, so we were prepared, like yes. it's, it's gone from four hours to two hours. This could be an hour here, so we better like get on with it. So I contacted, I contacted her nearly straight away, and then I, I, I didn't really know anything about meconium. I didn't, I didn't process what that really was. 
when she was um, asking me to describe, you know, what was happening, she was like, oh, it sounds like you've got meconium. And I was like, okay, and she said, I'll come check you. But if it is, I don't want you to be disappointed, but we'll have to transfer you to the hospital. And as soon as she we said had the that. We full set up. I knew, were all excited. I knew deep down that I'd be going in. So she came and um, she broke my waters and she said, yeah, there's McCormie and we'll have to go in. So I suppose for dying safety, I was happy to go in. You know, I'm, I was a hundred percent with whatever the process was, mm. but I knew that he was going to be fine. I knew that I deep down didn't, but I knew, you know, out of precaution that I, I did need to go in. So when I went into the hospital, I was like, okay, I need to go in with all my gear. So we brought everything that we could from our home experience into the hospital. And I think the nice part about that was, you know, I had my my speaker with music, I had all my essential oils, I had um my what else did I have? Pending for the bits that I had. Oh, no, I but when we got in there, my midwife came with me as my birthing partner, even though she couldn't be acting as a midwife. So she was like a okay. coach slash sort of doula. So, so the good thing with her was HSA. because I didn't, <laughs> yeah. I suppose because I didn't know how to get really what I wanted. I know that you can give them your birth plan, but because I didn't know what way the system would be when I went in, she did all the talking for me. So anytime they asked a question, she would answer them. And then she would just come back to me. And I think for me, the reason why that was a really good experience was it was good for me to see what other women experience when they go into a hospital. Because with Paddy, I didn't know any different. With Saoirse, I had the ideal birth at home. And with Dahi, I got to bring my home birth experience into the hospital as much as I could. And I could see the barriers of that, but I could also see where it was good for me to experience it. Was it was interesting because the Dahi's birth just showed me how much in control of Rosie's body um, she could be if she really put her mind and her affirmations into it. So obviously we went from a home birth scenario to Rosie's got to go into the hospital. She went in with, uh, with, with her midwife. Um, and then we had the two other kids that we had to then try to get someone to mine. So yeah. I got to the hospital, what, an hour and a half later, and they yeah. were they were obviously going into a sort of safety and risk process of, of resp- mining, like, the impact on the respiratory system of the baby with obviously the meconium in the womb and stuff. Um, so they were saying, well, they, obviously you start down the intervention path when things start happening like this. And Rosie's like, no, please just wait. Adam, Adam will be here at 12. Um, and the baby will be out by two, one thirty-two at the latest. Trust me. As soon as Adam gets here, he I know my me, body will go. Because, I know my she'll feel. I safe. rely on I rely on Adam to massage against my contractions, and I know from Paddy's birth, and then Sears's that I like I needed him for that. So I think mm-hmm. they were kind of saying to me, "Okay, we'll give you a little bit more time," but you know the obstetrician when they come around, they're going to want to us to be moving things along. So I kept asking, could I go to the toilet? Because I knew that medically they have to let you go to the toilet. So I just kept requesting toilet requests and Adam got in. And literally the second that Adam got in, we put all the bits and pieces on me, all the pain relief. And Adam was rubbing, the, oil the oils and my yeah. rub and Adam was rubbing in against my back. I said, just even I don't have contractions, just start rubbing my back as if I do. And the oxytocin was flowing then. The minute just straight away I went in and my midwife who was, I suppose, um, who was on duty, she went on lunch and when she came back, I had the baby and she said, I genuinely didn't believe that you would have. And I said, look, I knew. But just like Adam said, I think each birth has made me realize even more and more how much obviously fear can slow things down, intervention can slow things down but how much we are in control of our bodies. Like I never, I never would have understood that, you know, before I ever had a child, but now I'd really understand it. It's incredible that you were so, um, you were really able to use your voice as well, considering you were in labor, but you knew that you needed that time. You knew exactly what you needed to have, you know, you needed, you knew you needed Adam there, not necessarily for support, which obviously you did, but you needed him to really help the, oxytocin get flowing and just to to help bring baby along yeah that was yeah and and the fear I think as well because I when if I if I'm giving birth and Adam's not there massaging against my back 
like when he when he lets go of my back that's the only time I talk I'm like put your arm back <laughs> put your hand back there because it makes such a difference to my birth or my my um yeah the pain levels like it makes a huge difference and I think that's so true as well when you're in that type of pain and you're trying to have a natural birth you're so vulnerable because you don't have the energy to argue with someone or you don't have the energy to fight you know like if there's if there's something there's resistance to what you're doing and you know even different things like when I had my home birth I could give position I could give birth whatever position I wanted to but in the hospital you know they want you to you know lie a certain way be a certain way and they want you to deliver a certain way and you know that comes down to whoever your head midwife might be or your obstetrician it comes down to what they're comfortable with and I think even for that I even recognize that you know there's a certain part of you that has to surrender on the day as well to who's on duty and that that can be a little bit difficult as well so even though that birth experience didn't go to plan I'm grateful it happened so that I could really experience what other women do experience when they go in. And did you feel stronger um, having the hypnobirthing under your belt, knowing that? Because one of my fears when I had the home birth was seeing an ambulance pull up outside the house. But I knew I had the hypnobirthing under my belt to kind of give me that strength to to know I could cope in hospital. I could cope with the transfer. Did you definitely. feel a little bit stronger? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, definitely. And you know, so when I did the hypnobirthing as well, um, now this, I, I don't, I don't think that it's a, I don't think it's a coincidence or not, but I don't think it is a coincidence. So when I give birth to Paddy, I think I, spe- I experienced a little bit of trauma from being in labor when they told me I wasn't in labor and I was she trying- went, you went just, <clears throat> probably need to give a bit of backstory. You went from like two centimeters to seven Very plus quickly. centimeters in like an hour or so. So, and so what happened was, I think when I did the hypnobirthing, when I would listen to the audios, when I was getting ready to give birth to Saoirse, I would get like this, um, like this, like rush of like adrenaline through my body. And I would like be really fidgety and I'd be lying in the bed and I was thinking, what's going on? Why, when I listen to the audios, am I getting this like sensation in my body? So I actually, Adam had downloaded a book and it was on my iTunes. I was reading it and it mentioned something like, if you have an experience in childhood, to clear it, it will stay repeating itself in your life until you clear it. And something that happened to me when I was younger was that I had serious pain or accidents happen where an adult didn't believe I was in that much pain. And um, like I chopped off my finger, I broke my hip. And, you know, someone would say, to me, oh, you're fine. Or they, they, they weren't realizing I was crying because I was in pain. And it was interesting because once I recognized that pattern, I thought to Patty's birth. And again, I was in serious pain and the person in duty didn't believe that I was in that much pain. They thought I was being dramatic. And that was the pattern of a few things that happened as I was growing up. And as soon as I recognized that pattern, the sensation went away for the audios. And I actually mm-hmm. rang my the person who did the hypnobirthing um, course at me and I mentioned it to her. And I don't know what we did in the phone. We had like some sort of a discussion. And she said to me, yeah, this is coming up for you to clear. And after that point, it was like something healed inside me and I could listen to the audios again and all that sensation went. And I believe if I hadn't have had that clearing, I don't think Sears's birth would have gone as smooth for me. I think I would have panicked. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible, isn't it? Yeah, isn't it? Because I, 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 I broke my wrist, my finger and yeah, my hip. So there were like three kind of significant things and yeah, that was, it was really powerful. And then Paddy's birth. Because I think hypnobirthing, I, I think people are starting to accept it now. It's not just this hippie thing that people are doing. It's, it can be, for me, honestly, it was life-changing as it was for my husband. Um, so that's, that's amazing to, to, to hear that you got so much more out of it as well than just the, you know, necessarily the birthing experience. You got a lot more out of it than that. Yeah, you totally. And I, th- and I think for me as a husband, like I, and and when we talk about um, get more in detail about Ezra's birth because that was uh, that was um, in Portugal, and um, but for me to know when when she would do the different 
breathing techniques, mm. the different stages and different things were happening and that I would be able to help anchor her in that part of the, of the, of the labor um, just by helping, okay, get back to your breathing, you know what I mean? Like where maybe she might get a bit, the pain might overtake her a little bit and there might be a bit of a misstep and that happened in Ezra's birth actually. Yeah. Um, but able to just sort of bring her back and just remind her and that was just from me going and doing the courses and, and talking about it and Rosie explaining the different breathing techniques and then seeing it with Sisha and then seeing it with Dahi and then obviously by the time we got to Ezra, being able to guide Rosie back on when she sort of got out of pattern. And, and I, think, I think the other good thing with the, the hypnobirthing, the one I went to was down in Clare and she had the, the rainbow, the rainbow, I think it's the full name, affirmations, but there was only two of them. There was the affirmations one and then there was the birthing one. So it was literally two audios and I think one was 12 minutes, the other was 22 minutes. And I found because I only had two audios, I listened to them on the lead up to the birth. I listened to them every day. And if I went for a nap, I listened to the naps. I, li- I listened to them a lot. But a friend of mine had um, loads of audios and she really didn't listen to many of them because she said, when I would go on, I'd be so many of them, I'd get distracted between which one I should pick and the selection. Whereas I found because I only had to, I listened to them. And I noticed that when I, I, I give them I to... Them, Your baby is coming. And like, you know what I mean? I think I still remember them. Because Rosie would put them on just on this on the speaker, but as we were going to bed, and it would just be playing when she was asleep and all sorts of stuff. It was, I think, they just etched into my brain. Yeah, yeah. So I really do. I listen to them at least once or twice a day on the lead up to the birth. Like I'm really, really focused on that part of the the yeah. hypnobirth thing. Yeah. But it was funny because, sorry, go for it. It was great what you were saying, Adam, actually, because hypnobirthing enables the partner to be able to read the, the birthing woman because you can't vocalize how you're feeling sometimes. You know, you know when you're in transition, oh, yeah. but you can't say it. And it's great that your partner can read. That's what I think you, you, the partner learns from hypnobirthing. Oh, yeah. it's great. It gives us a bit of a bit of a roadmap to yeah, help. Yeah. You know what and I mean? Because it's something to do. Yes. Men like to do it? something and you don't want to be talking to them. So. Otherwise, we're just standing back and we're like, don't really understand yeah, what's going yeah. on. How can I help? I can massage back and whatever. But um, but knowing how to be sort of an active support part and and, and strength in the in the labor is is helpful. Yeah, because otherwise you feel useless and you're just like and just for, a bit of a passenger. Yeah, in this yeah, yeah. Gig, you know what I mean? You, you are the star he, of the show. It's I don't funny mind. because Adam's great like getting the pool organized and all those like little task things. He loves them. But for Ezra's birth, I. I suppose you get overly confident then for your fourth one and you start, you do really forget the pain, like you forget the intensity. And I think I was so excited for Ezra's and that. We the, probably should start yeah, at the start talk, of talk Ezra's. Ezra's okay. Let's, let's, let's go, go right back to the start. Yeah. Okay. So we get to Portugal. And, and he, he was planned. All our, all our babies. Have been and planned. I decided I, I want another baby. And we didn't know how long we were going to stay in Portugal. So I'm like, we'll just, we know we're going to be here for another year. So let's, start now so I fell pregnant practically straight away with and Ezra I think we well. were naive as to what the process would be like you know what I mean because the last three had been pretty great processes all different but but amazing in their own right I think we were naive as to as to how it would be over there and obviously it was COVID and everything like that and just the system operates totally differently there's and I I'd, I'd come back to Ireland in the November and I did my 12 week checkup in a I got a scan done privately just to, you know, the not the hospital yeah. scan, just a, a regular scan. Yeah. So we knew the baby was was healthy. And oh, you better um, just one last thing. So with with Dahi's birth, you didn't go and see the doctor, the local doctor until you were what, 23 weeks pregnant or something like that. But that was with Ezra. No, that was both of them. Dahi was the same. And I remember the doctor said, how do you know you're pregnant? And you were like, <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't remember that. <laughs> you were 23. Dahi. And it was, I think that was the same with um, with Ezra. Rosie got the scan at 12 weeks just to make sure everything was was okay and everything like that. No, I think the one the one with Dahi was was because there was a delay with the hospital. I don't think that was out of... I, I just, I don't know. We were, because so what happened was when we had, when we fell pregnant with Ezra and then I came home, I did the scan because I knew everything was fine and we were trying to work out which hospital we would go to in Portugal. I was around, was I 19 or 20 weeks 
by, oh, the, over 20. by the time we actually booked our appointment for the ho- the hospital we picked. And, you know, that was probably shocking for the obstetrician who took me in that I was coming in that late. But, you know, so I we ha- started we started off uh, going um, private hospital in, in Portugal. That's, so that we could get the, you know, we could just get the, the checkup. Well, the checks at the hospital, because I in, in here in Banlaslo, I would have gotten my checks there when I'd be doing the home birth anyway. So I contacted a lady who I, so there, there had been a lady who'd been interviewed on Portuguese television about home birthing. So when I saw that she'd been interviewed on television. I thought, okay, I'll contact her because that looks like she would be a good one. Because it's like underground over okay. there. It's not... It's it's totally it's very frowned upon, massively frowned upon um, by the by the uh, by the whole. You know, it's not like here fraternity. where there's a lot of midwives in the UK that would be normal for them. Then they come home and do it in in Portugal. Well, and we didn't realize it was so yeah. frowned upon. We we just thought it was kind of like here that it was okay. There was so, t- it was a total underground scene. It was really hard to find them. So she she said to me that it was not underground the way you're saying it but she basically said to me that she was booked up but she sent me on a list of other names and in fairness you can find that list of names on the internet if you do find it but if you spoke to someone they wouldn't tell you where to go but if you contact a midwife they might know so she gave me a name and I had just contacted the one person and we were booking in to meet up and before I got to meet with that other midwife the original midwife Raquel rang me and said Rosie I can't be your main midwife, but I have another girl called Raquel and she could be your main midwife and I could be the second one. Um, We'll do it. If you want, we can do a Zoom. And if we feel like we're right fit, we can move forward. And the second we got on Zoom, we were we knew we were all on the same page. Like I said, look, you know, basically what they wanted to know was. They would do their best. I would do my best. And if everything went to plan, great. But if it didn't, then I was happy to go into hospital. And once we were on that page, we were like, okay, great. And then they gave recommendations for, you know, anything else that I needed. So I booked in with them and then COVID happened. And before that, I had gone in and I had done one hospital appointment. And straight away, there was intervention. I got a scan done. And in the scan, they decided to send me for, is it an EC? Yeah, a, 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 is it a neonatal, a fetal ECG okay. or something like that? Because Now, when you're in a country and, and we didn't speak, which, we which is language, Adam said, is, is, is there something wrong? And I don't think she expected Adam to ask that question. And she kind of said, oh, no, this is just um, precautionary. Pre- precautionary or something. And Adam goes, but is, is there a reason that we have to come back in a couple of days to do this like you know why why are we doing it and she said no no it's it's fine it's just I can't see everything or something so anyway and we, we can, couldn't read the report it was all in Portuguese so. so we came back a few days later and they did the the check on the baby's heart and I said to the man is everything okay and he goes well with the heart anyway and I was like that's such an odd thing to say like with the this heart is, anyway this is the, the one of the premier maternity hospitals in Lisbon and we were uh, private fee yeah, paying, yeah. you know what I mean? We didn't have private health insurance for, for maternity, hadn't kicked in yet for over there. So I So I, then we were kind of like, okay, so we 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 brought all the paperwork to our midwife. We said our birth, our home birth midwife, we said, can, can you read this? And she looked at it and she said, there was no reason to have that heart scan. I said everything was fine. And from what I can see, you've just entered the intervention route from the get-go like you're already been, you know things are getting complicated when they shouldn't have and at that point then I knew I wanted to have a home birth because I just thought if if and if, the c-section rates in the private hospitals over there are I was very gonna high. say so if that's sorry, what, it's obviously a money spinner yeah so mm-hmm. we that's what it felt like once that happened I thought you know what the fact that we don't have the language, I know that we're vulnerable to go in there. So when we spoke to our midwives, what we decided was that if I did have to go into the hospital for any reason, that we would go into a public hospital close to me, not the private one that I had been dealing with, because I'd have more of a chance having a natural birth in the public one than I would in the private one. And the public hospital, Kashgar's, uh public hospital, that's where we're living, was like, eight minutes away or something okay. like that so yeah. it wasn't 
So we felt, and I think the one thing for me as well, I always go with my gut instinct. All my life I've gone with that. And for this, for this birth, I felt 100% comfortable to have the home birth. The way everything had played out, and I suppose in hindsight, one good thing was the fact that they had checked the baby's heart, even though they didn't need to, I knew 100% the baby yeah. was okay. Yeah. You know what I mean? That it, that actually gave me more confidence to have a home birth, whereas in their eyes, it probably gave them more room to have intervention later on. So I felt like, okay, let's let's run with the home birth. But it was, it was really amazing. Like that was, if you look back on it, that was like a minor miracle because the fact that we were in a country that was totally neutral to both of us, like neither of us are from Portugal and, we have amazing friends there and amazing, amazing support and stuff like that. But it's still a daunting prospect giving birth in a, in a foreign country and just happened to be COVID at the same time. So we were like, if she, there was all sorts of things like the, the private hospital was 45 minutes away and we had to drive right through the middle of Lisbon. Parking was terrible. Parking was horrible. Um, and then it was when they were like, well, don't think I can be in with her yeah. and stuff. And then that would be Rosie totally vulnerable in a foreign country, in a hospital without me. Um, and it just made sense. It was funny because all these, these little sort of miracles started happening. Um, one, of our, one of our friends and next door neighbours in the sort of the condominium where we were living, she had gotten all her blood tests done privately at home. So she gave the contact. So all of Rosie's, any tests and stuff she had to do, even the, um, whatever the, the bacteria, the strep one, that was all. They just came to, they the, house, came to the, they house. Came the house and did it. So we didn't even have to go anywhere. So everything was done from, from the and house. And it was funny because I had, because of COVID, we like, obviously everyone was staying in their, in their houses. But that day she'd been out with her dog and I had been out with the kids and we got chatting while we were social distancing. We got chatting and, um, yeah, she she told me about how she got her bloods at home and she's like, oh yeah, I'll, I'll send you on the contacts and if you have any problem, I can get onto them as well. So had that not happened, it would have been even more complicated for me to have tried to have gone into the hospital to get all my tests and explain that I was having a home birth. So yeah, it was. I never went back to the hospital after that. Um, so it was perfect. Yeah. You probably would have inquired so was... why you didn't go to the private hospital as well if you went to the public for your bloods, would they? Yeah, I, yeah, I, we it, it wouldn't it would have just been complicated. Yeah. And I didn't. I thought, do we need to ring the private hospital up to break up with them or anything like that? You know what I mean? Like, a, we had a doctor appointment. It was interesting because I think it was I think it was a few things because you know that like um, if you go in with a seemingly no plan, you'll you'll get managed. They have to manage the process. The the doctors and the midwives they they have to assess risk and move you through the process and. The fact that we didn't speak the language, I think the the obstetrician that we were assigned. Well, the first one didn't speak Portuguese, even though it uh, didn't speak English, even though I'd asked for it. And this is this is not their fault; it's our fault. We're we're the English speakers in a non English speaking country, um, and uh, and the it was just it was just strange. And the and when um, the set, the meeting the, 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 me, the meeting was a bit intense. And, I think the hard part as well was this. This is probably what worried me slightly was. The second obstetrician that we were assigned to was an older woman that probably had years and years and years of experience. And I could sense straight away, you know, she wasn't looking at me like, oh, you've had three children. She was speaking to me as if I'd never given birth and that, you know, she would be the one in control. And as soon as I felt that, I thought, you know, already I don't feel that this is a mutual partnership of someone trying to deliver my child to me. I feel like I'm stepping into her world and it'll be her world. You know what I mean? And I think that kind of made me realize, you know what? I, I feel like yeah, everything- this wasn't, and it wasn't experience. And- this is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. There was one particular part, and, and she was just being super professional, but it felt, I felt it was a little bit disrespectful. And I said, and I said really respectfully and polite, I said, Rosie has delivered three healthy babies before with no pain relief. Um, so she's, she's done this before. And I think that's one thing is that if it's okay to, to politely and respectfully, if you, if you know the process and you've done it before, just to, just to say, look, actually, this isn't really the direction we want to go. Um, and, and so, yeah, anyway, that, that it didn't end up that way. So Jordan, it's just, fast forward to the morning of yeah so we got everything all the bits that we needed for the home birth and it was actually very funny the morning of the birth because I woke up at around three it was at 3 a.m and I could feel the, like a, a mild contraction and I just got excited straight away because I'm like today's the day and I was um thinking oh the kids might be asleep in bed and they'd wake up in the morning and the baby would be here but it was so funny, Dahi, our little guy, he was in the cot in our room and he woke up and he just wanted Adam. He was having none of like staying in the room, being going back to sleep. It was like he knew something was going so he on. He was up at three, the one, so well, he was to, one or something. At that we stage. had to bring him out. So he was sitting in his high chair while we were ringing the, the midwife. midwife. So I rang the midwife and I said to her, look, I'm having contractions. But I said because I don't know how long it will take you to get here and I know how fast I could go, I feel like if you come, it's not going to be a waste of your time to come early. I feel like if you come, I'll feel my body might let go. So anyway, they came and... About five. About five. And um, Adam... And I, because we lived in like a little gated condo um, with, a, with, a, with a concierge and a, a doorman, so he, he had to let them Senor in. Santos, I love that guy. Oh man. Anyways, an older Portuguese guy didn't speak any English. I speak very minimal Portuguese. We loved we just, him and we he loved us. Best friends. Yeah. We're just best friends. And anyway, um, he he let them in. You know what I mean? And they'd been coming and going in the full like this hazmat time he, suits doing the checkups, and they were like wondering what was going on for all this time. And then he he let them in. And then he came all the way up to our apartment with them because he wanted to see, you know, he probably thought maybe there was something He's wrong. Sure you're okay. And then when he when he saw me come out, he realized I was fine. He probably clicked then we were having a home birth. So they came in and th- we decided, look, we'll just get the, I said, can we just get the pool set up? Because I'd feel more comfortable knowing the pool was ready. And 
And it was, as soon as the pool went up, the air pump worked the other kids. The kids out. came out, they thought the hairdryer was going on. So they came out and they were like, what's all this noise about? And so anyway, they were all sitting on the couch, like, like a movie. I don't know. So yeah, I had all my, I had all my oils out and I had my jellies out and I always have, um, the snakes, the, oh, the, squ- the, the squirms. The, yeah, yeah. I always have those for birth for a little bit of energy and the kids started eating them. They were like thrilled. So in the end, Adam had to set all them up in the kitchen and they were like coloring and they were eating and doing all their bits and pieces. Which from Paw Patrol. And so we got the, the pool set up. Now, this was, I think, was my only mistake, which I didn't I didn't know about until afterwards. I, I, so anytime I got, would sit on the bouncy ball, my um, contractions would go further apart and anytime I would stand up and walk around, they would come quicker together. So when they kind of got a little bit going, I don't know, I, I had this magical thing in my head where I remembered Sears' home birth in the pool and I loved it. So I wanted to get into the pool as quickly as possible. But I didn't realize that when your body gets really relaxed, it can slow down the birth a little bit. And I think I got in thinking it would quicken it up. So I had expectations that I would give birth quicker than I did. So I think I was... I, I like I was saying to you earlier, you forget the pain. So when I was in the pool and I was doing my breathing technique, I was trying to transition quicker than my body was. And I was starting to get a little bit lost in my in the process. And you're breathing. I, and that's where I could tell. This is where Adam stepped in. You the, tell them, Adam, what you noticed. Well, I, I could notice that her breathing shifted, even in the pain, like she was sort of struggling. And I, and I, I, I got a bit... Um, frightened you know because i'd never i'd seen her in pain in labor three times before but i'd never seen her get flustered where she was a bit lost and she just hit this point and she was lost and i'm like okay she's lost i don't know i don't know i don't know what to do and it was amazing because, and it's funny because the midwives didn't notice it because they they just assumed that you know i've had three children i've done home births and so they gave rosie her space to, they gave my space but so they did. They did all the checks every however long and stuff like so that. So they were checking everything, but they didn't notice I was getting lost. And but Adam could tell there was a difference. Now I could obviously tell in my head. So it was interesting because when you noticed it, you were kind of like, "Rosie, why don't you try this?" Well, it's funny because I could tell she was getting lost, and I started to panic a little bit, and I'm like, <laughs> "Oh my head. gosh, we're gonna end up in hospital!" Blah 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 blah. And then I'm like, no. Nah. So I actually just had a, a little silent prayer to myself. And I just, I just rubbed the shoulders. I'm like, okay, focus on your breathing. Because I realized that if I can't get her back yeah. on track, no one's like, it's going to end. She's going to, you know and what you I mean? You have to keep yourself on and, track um, as well. Exactly. And we had the three other kids, you know what I mean? Asking for, they must have eaten 400 euro worth of food that morning. It was like 14 bananas, 6,000 apples. You know what happens? It's just perfect opportunists. It's and like then every mum and dad are doing something super important. So I'm going to ask for cheesecake or something at five o'clock in the morning. And they kept coming out to check on me and then they were going back in because it was boring. You know, it wasn't. But then once you got your, your breathing back on track um, and we just had a, just had a moment just to really connect spiritually and, and stuff and just anchor ourselves. Then you got back on track, and I think there was some some really sweet moments where, like, Sisha, as you got closer to it, Sisha was like, she's like rubbing. We got some my beautiful head. photos, and we recorded it, and we haven't looked, but she's rubbing her hair, and Dotty was in his high chair, and Patty was just Patty didn't know what to do. Patty sort of, was sitting back in the couch watching he, from a distance, peeking behind the cushion every once <laughs> in a while. Sisha was like full on, like right beside me, rubbing my head, and like you know, she was really a part of it. Like if I, she was closer than anyone. Little Sirsha. Yeah. She was like, what age was she? Three. She wasn't even four yet. So I think, and it was funny, having them there helped me because when I got lost, it, knowing the kids were in the house made me, you Safe. know, yeah, well, it made me like kind of internalize it more. But I think what happened was I forgot that the transition is longer than I thought. I suppose, you know, the way we know we've got part one and then we transition I suppose my memory of the transition was different and I expected to transition quicker to pushing. And I think when I didn't transition quickly to pushing, I was like, why am I pushing already? I, like in my head, I, I, and I was so focused on why am I pushing yet? I'd stopped breathing properly. And that was when Adam stepped in. 
Yeah, and I think uh, one thing is that with Searsha, one thing we didn't mention is she had a true knot in the umbilical cord, like perfect knot. And both of the midwives said this, like they hadn't seen one like that and they'd given, done lots of deliveries. Um, and she she went to this point where she came out so fast. Like she, and she was tiny. She wasn't tiny, which she had just under six, 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 12 or six, 14, whereas Patty, six, 14. Was, Patty was like eight, eight, three. Dahi was uh, Dahi was just nine, nine. just one under nine. Um, and then Ezra was eight and something. Um, but Sisha was little, and she came out really fast. And then it just we saw the power of Rosie's like mom and baby when they're they're connected. There was an issue if there had been pulling or anything on on the baby on the umbilical cord or For or or some vacuum or or whatever. Like it would have tightened that umbilical cord, and the, like they just knew like. Rosie just felt to push quicker. And I think that's, and, and then with Patty as well, I think the the thing of just the, I remember Dr. Leong telling you to slow down. You're like, no, nah, and he just, you just pushed him out. Him out. Um, and then Dohi being in the hospital because there was the time pressure of, well, if he's not out by a certain time, we're going to have to start going through the process because of, of any respiratory challenges from the meconium. So I think you, you'd created these situations through the first three where, where it transitioned to push very fast. That's very true. And then we get to, we get to number it is four. He's taking his time. He's just taking his time. He's having a bit of swim around and all sorts of stuff. And then, it, it, yeah, but anyway, you got it's, through. I suppose transition. it felt like an eternity waiting for Ezra to come out. And then he, when, when we watch back in the video, he, he literally just he shot, shot out, out like a torpedo. In the and water. all the kids are standing around the pool. And he literally shoots out like a torpedo. You can see him if you. I like war movies, and when they the submarines shoot the torpedoes out, it's just like you see this baby go. And then Rosie picks him up and puts him on, but and he was cut. Was he covered in vernix as well? Yeah, Sears, it was lathered in stuff. And it was nice then because the when we were on the couch, obviously the kids were there, and um, you know they were asking all these questions. But the nicest moment of it all was when the midwives like I I had a shower and I got into bed and they came in and to do the cord they had um a thread and they said for every knot they would tie the thread could somebody um intention or wish for yeah make well. a wish or an intention for Ezra so they went around to all the kids and the kids said a wish and intention and the midwives did as well and we all just had this moment in the room doing that with the cord, saying our intentions for Ezra. And it was so special. And then when they left, it was like, it was so. Yeah, because it was like he was born at, he was what, 10, 10-ish, 10, 20 or something like that a.m. So it was like from them arriving to out is about four or five hours. So he was a little bit slower than the other ones. Um, and look, I, I know I don't want anyone to be upset by what I'm about to say. My disposition, I'm so grateful that Rosie births fast because I can't handle, like, I was in labor 56 hours. Like, I would I would be dead. Like, I, I, I couldn't handle it. And it was the first, it was funny with, with the first with Patty, um, Dr. Leong, she said, Adam, I'm not worried about Rosie. I think I need a plan to manage you. You know what I mean? Because all the questions I'd ask. So it was, it was funny. You're so connected and you're so involved. It'd be very different if you were like, you know, give me the lounger. Let oh, me yeah. Nearly there. Do you know? You're, I would asking, be able to handle that. I'd be you're, asking all the questions and stuff. No, neither would I. No, I think it's because like you're you're very you you can read her. You have to read her because you feel that's your role, and it's amazing that you have that support. So you're very much in it with her. So it would be exhausting as well. I'm sure you're delighted as well that you have. <laughs> oh, and it's funny because when I was given when I was in labour with Paddy, um, Adam hadn't got to the hospital yet, and I rang him and I was like, Adam. Oh my goodness, this is so painful. I don't know if I'm being really dramatic, but I just it's so painful. You just get here now. And I was saying to the I was saying to the midwives, okay, can we can we organize the um anesthesis, please? Because if I'm not going till midnight tonight, I'm I like I'm 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 definitely going to need the epidural. And I think in their heads they were thinking, who is this one coming in? Like she's not going to give birth till tonight. She's looking for the nieces. And I remember she said to me, "Would you not? Would you not let the panadol? Would you not let wait for the panadol to kick in that we gave you?" 
And I was like, this is a panadol pain. And it was funny, my obstetrician came in then and she checked me. No, no, wait a second, she checked me. And then she said, Rosie, you're 70% of the way there. And as soon as I heard 70%, I was like, okay, I can handle it now. But when I thought this could be like 4%, I was like, what the heck would labor be like if this was 4%? So, that so was, just just so people know, I didn't just Rosie wasn't in a hospital abandoned by herself. I went in the she, night before. She went in the night before because she was so over. They wanted to induce me the following day, which you know what? When I look back now, I didn't know what induction meant. You know, I didn't know what it means to be induced. And when I look back now, if I'd had more information, I probably wouldn't have gone in to be induced. You know what I mean? I would have waited. But what, what happened was, which I was probably lucky in some ways, I went in and they put a gel on me and it started burning like straight away. So I had to go into the shower and wash it off. And the following morning okay. they were going to induce me, but I went naturally, naturally overnight, thank goodness. But even back then I didn't even, I didn't even yeah, understand didn't the consequences of being induced. It's just vital to read up and educate because we do a lot on our pregnancies we prepare ourselves for a pregnancy we look after ourselves so well but it's just the labor birth and then those early postpartum days I think we we kind of we don't really prepare for and it's funny you say that as well because I think I would have just thought I did an antenatal class I wouldn't have even known there were other private classes you could do so I think that's another thing is that you can have an antenatal now I know in our local hospital they start to do the hypnobirthing through the hospital and the the midwives um um, have pushed for that and especially the home birth and midwives in there so that's really good but I think it's just you don't know what you don't know and I think the other hard part is unless you have friends who have given birth before you who have gone down that route you don't really have a connection you know I know that obviously now you've got things like social media sponsored ads where they can see that you're pregnant and people can advertise to you but like you know Anything that I did for Searsha onwards, that was from other mums I had gotten to know recommending things. You know, I wouldn't have had a clue yeah. before that. And I think your 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 postpartum with Ezra was a lot different. Um, <clears throat> and and we you were, guys getting older. Oh, I, yeah. The it aches. Was, it was so so much different. Like now, his with, birth, with, actually. With Dahi, Dahi, because um, uh, every, every year in September, there's a conference that one of us tries to go to in, in the U.S., and Dahi came on the 2nd September and, and when was the conference? Like the 10th or something like that? Yeah, and I after and, the birth. And I Rosie was up. She was like a wonder woman after Dahi's birth. And he was a nine-pound baby, so he was a pretty decent-sized little lad. And um, she was like, no, I'm fine. You can, you can. I'm and I, I just canceled. Tree. I'd canceled it not expecting to go. And Rosie's like, no, you can go. I'm fine. 100% cool. See you later. I'm like, are you sure? This isn't one of those things where, like, if I say yes, I'm going to get trapped here, is it? And I'm going to be the worst guy ever. But she's like, and Rosie doesn't do that. She sent. So I went off. Now with Ezra, um, the midwives were super duper focused on Rosie's um, self care. They're like, you are not getting out of bed for 14 days. They were amazing. You're you're in there. You're relaxing. And for someone to tell you that, like, when you have four children, and they were like, look you will recover because they didn't want to give me a stitch and, and they said prolapse yeah so they said if you yeah and they were saying to be mindful of prolapse they were like stay in bed for 10 days and you know if that was any of my other births I would have been like not a chance you know maybe a couple mm-hmm. of days but like I wouldn't but I was so tired and Ezra was so um and it was the middle of COVID so I couldn't really do much with the kids so we I think one day we went to the McDonald's drive through and it just ended up an absolute debacle with kids having to go toilet in bottles and cars and stuff like that because you couldn't go into public toilets or anything and it was just sorry for it you can maybe edit that out possibly or not leave it in but I, I think the it was just it was really it was really great because Rosie needed that rest and Ezra and I was exhausted Ezra was such a mummy's boy as well did you let yourself? Did you take? Oh, I did. Days? Yeah, and oh, not only did I let myself, but I, I, I recognized. She was on holidays. I recognized I needed them, and I was so grateful that they said it because when they said it to Adam, Adam was like, "Oh, now he knew that I'd have to do it." But even with Ezra's birth, like 
like, you know how they say that you'll get into the position you need to for you and your baby. But it's interesting, mm-hmm. Ezra was engaged fully for weeks and weeks. Like week 30, 31. His head was actually okay. a different shape than it is mush, now. He was like because right he'd been down engaged for so since long. week 31. But for me to give birth to him, when I was in the water, normally when, when I'm giving birth, I just get Adam to need against my contraction and I kind of stay in the same position. But Adam would need against my contraction and then then I'd have to move back my body all the way back. So if you were on her knees, leaning like back. backwards, it was the most And then the next part of the I'd go forward, let Adam massage me, and then I'd have to go back again. And like to do that for a long period of time, it, it was like a physical, like it was very physical it was labor. Like, it was like doing squats for five I, hours. I had the worst like aches and pains. And I'm not talking about like, when your uterus contracts pain, it was like mm. muscular exhaustion, like I'd ran a marathon after Ezra. So I, and then probably as well, because we'd had, don't, know, had don't, anyone listening to this, thinking about a second baby, it's or third or fourth. It's grown. You'll be fine. You'll get over it. Rosie's, this, Rosie's still a poster, poster child for giving birth. And I think as well though, you know, like because I had three children and I was older, I didn't realize how much I had aged. Like I was 28 when I gave birth to Paddy and I was 30 five given birth so I just even think I forgot that I'm physically that bit older as well I definitely could feel it like you know when they say give birth when you're younger because it's easier that's true it's true (laughs) none of this wait till 30s it's true it's true and how did you decide to feed did you decide to bottle feed or breastfeed breastfeed so I've always breastfed I breastfed um Paddy and I was lucky because Paddy latched straight away and when we left the hospital um, I had a really good natural breastfeeding technique. Then I came home, I had to kind of figure out, you know, what, how I was doing that. So Adam was really good. He listened in on the nurse's advice, actually. I can't remember. Did someone come to a house in Australia? They didn't have the breastfeeding, but you had listened. I can't remember. Before we left the hospital at Paddy, they said to me, look, you're latching really great, but we're just going to give you a quick run through of how to latch just so you know the technique, even though you're naturally doing it. But Adam paid attention to that. And when I got home and he was latching funny. Adam was able to remind me what they said. So I remember the the, the thing. The I pinch, remember now. I the still remember. I so remember. I breastfed him and then Saoirse, I breastfed with her until she was, um, I think she was 18 months. Dahi stopped feeding himself when he was about nine months old. And um, yeah, Ezra, Ezra, Ezra looks like he's on the way out as well. He's sort of yeah, Ezra is kind of like Dahi, just, Rosie just not was, as much interest. Rosie was heartbroken. When Dohi Dohi gave it up at nine months old, it was like he he divorced her, and it was like a, the worst breakup in history. Because Paddy was two when we two in a couple of to, months. You had to when I was kind of I stopped him feeding at nighttime. He hadn't been really feeding that much during the day anyway, so he was just on night feed. So when I stopped that, then he started to sleep. Was night. it Sisha that bit you? And you gave out, like, you went, ow! And then she never, she wouldn't go no, back No, it was again. Dahi. Oh, so Dahi, yeah. Dahi bit me, and I went, ouch. And I and it, I, did, I didn't actually, like, react. I just said, ouch. And he started crying. And then the following day, he bit me again, and I said, ouch. And he started bawling, crying, and he wouldn't feed a day after that. <laughs> and I said to Adam, it'd be different if, if I had, like, if I had reacted, like, gave out to her or something. But, like, he literally bit me, and I said, ouch. And he just bawled, crying. So it was funny because... The only thing that was good about Dahi having stopped feeding was Very that. Fall quickly. Well, I I said to Adam, now that Dahi's not feeding, I'm ready to have another baby because I won't feel bad for him. Like he's he's given up on me, so I feel like I can have another baby. So I can completely relate. Oliver, as as you put it, gave up on me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> At seven months old, he just stopped and Eve Eve is going down the same route. So I'm really having to work hard to get her to feed as well. It's just heartbreaking. She's only, what, eight and a half months, but she's just, she'll feed all night long. But during the day, she's just far too busy and important. And it's funny you say that because with Ezra, he won't feed during the day. He'd be looking at everything going on. But if I bring him down to the bedroom by himself, I could probably get him to feed. But when when you're busy with kids and your day-to-day stuff, you don't have time to be going down to a room to feed them. So he might feed for like 50 seconds or a minute, max two minutes, and then he's he's done. So but he's like that and he'll feed at night though. And Rosie, just lastly, I think you enjoy giving birth. Do you enjoy the the 
the feeling of it, the preparation. I, I yeah, I love the preparation, and I love yeah. the the aftermath of it, and I love aftermath, and I love creating the atmosphere in the. And home. you love being pregnant. Yeah, I do. You I like I like being pregnant. pregnant as well. But I think when I got, I I have to admit when I was given when I was nearly about to give birth to Ezra. I remember thinking to myself, oh my goodness, I'm going to be doing this again. Like I remember the, the, I, I was wondering would the pain of, not the pain, but just the, the, the juggle that I went through in my head. I'm like, I wonder will I forget that pain this time round? And I'm hoping I do. <laughs> you get amnesia. It's, it's scientific. I think you get amnesia when you're pregnant. I think, I think maybe I still have a little bit in my head, but I, yeah. You'll be right. We'll, we'll work it out. We're back. We're back home now. So, yeah, because I know when I was getting ready to give birth to Ezra, like when the midwives were coming to the house, I had no like any fear. It was all excitement, excitement. But you excitement. had so much energy. I was like half asleep, and you were. Like, and they yeah. were like, "I don't think you're it's as like advanced as and... you think you are because you're so like chirpy and you're moving around." Mm. But I think I was excited, and then I think as I actually, this is a really lovely thing my midwife said was, um, her granny used to say it. There's a point in the labor where um, where the mother has to go away to the stars to collect her baby and come back with him. And it was funny because she said, that's the moment when you surrender. And she said to me that she could see from my labor that I wasn't surrendering to the process, that I was still in control. And she she reckoned the moment I surrendered was when I went to the stars to collect my baby and come back with him. There's probably one last thing. Isn't it? I think there's one last thing that you should cover, which is the the stuff with your mum and if there is grief and having to let go. I think this is, this will be a good tip for people that have dealt with the passing of it, particularly a mum or something like that. Yeah. So, so for my, when I give birth to Paddy, my mum came over to Australia from Ireland, but she'd actually been going through um, cancer treatment for the third time. And it was kind of a miracle that she was given permission to come over. And that was great. So she was there for the birth and she stayed for three weeks, after. three weeks after, and she was there three weeks before. So then I moved home when, pa- when Paddy was 10 weeks to Ireland to be with her. And she was, um, she passed away a month before his first birthday. And when I was given, when I was pregnant with Saoirse, my midwife who was coming to the house said to me, you know, how do you feel about your mum not being here for this pregnancy? And I, at that point, I hadn't really thought about it. And I kind of started to get teary. And it was the first person that I had kind of, I suppose, talked to about. And I said to her, I hadn't really thought about that until you said it. And the day of the birth, I was having contractions and she came to the house and she said, look, you're progressing I'd say you know I'll be back in a couple hours I'll touch base with you and that was in the morning and that was in the morning and the contraction started to get further apart not come closer together so she rang me later in the day and she said look Rosie I'm coming over to the house to you now um get Paddy my aunt was home from America and she said she would take Paddy for me because no one knew I was having a home birth and she was the yeah, we didn't tell anyone because we didn't want to have to go through any Good questions. Especially for your first home birth when people would be trying to scare you out of doing it because they'd be fearful. So my aunt took Paddy and I came back to the house and my midwife said to me, Rosie, there is no reason why the baby shouldn't already be here. You are blocking your birth. She said, go down to the room, put on your audios. And she said, try to get your head right because... You, there's something there's something that, stuff in it. yeah the, yeah so I went down to the room and I put on the audios and when I got to the room I was actually in my mom's bedroom and I just burst out crying and the second I had that release oh I'm sorry I went to the graveyard after I dropped Paddy I went up to the graveyard to my mom and I never go to my mom's grave I'll only ever go the odd time if it's a really sunny day I'd like I'd, I'd never go there and um that day I went up before the birth. I even had a chat with her and I came down. That was when I had the release in the bedroom then. And the second I started after I cried, the contractions came on like boom. And your like waters broke. Waters broke. Everything went straight away. And because I had that experience, when I was given birth to Dahi, I knew that I could control my birth, which was why I said to the nurses, I just need Adam here. Once Adam is here, I know I'll give birth. And you had your cry? 
I did have my cry. I grieved the fact that I was in the hospital, in the toilet. I grieved that I was in there. And then I came out and I literally went straight into labor. So I think that was that was another thing for me was I realized the power of if we have fear, if we have grief, if like that we we really can hold back our um, our birth. And I think that was one thing I picked up from the hypno audio was she's like taking you mom and you've no idea what to expect giving birth and you get to the hospital. If you get that fight or flight response, you know, the hospital is the last place you should go the second you have a contraction. Like when nurses tell you to stay at home until the last minute, they're doing you a favor when they say that, because if you go in too early, then everything can start to slow down. Um, Whereas Mm -hmm. if you wait until you're very active in your labor to go in, it's less likely that you'll you'll slow down. And I think that was a big thing. I recognized how quickly your body can go fast forward or it can go backwards. It just demonstrates how your mind and body are connected as well, doesn't it? Totally. Guys, that was so enjoyable. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. We're so grateful. It's have taken up all your night, though. But it's been lovely to social distance and be able to socialize at the same time. Socializing. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you'd like to share your story, you're more than welcome to. You can get in touch via Instagram at Ireland's Birth Stories or you can reach out over the website, irelandsbirthstories.ie. I look forward to bringing you another episode. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.